and the Sovalix. And this is our <laughs> podcast about Christianity, politics, culture, our thoughts on all those things. And today we are talking about a heavy topic, watching the tragedy unfold from afar, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we wanted guests to talk about this because I feel woefully, woefully ignorant on this, this topic. So we're very pleased to have the Sobelix here, Michael and Chelsea. Rachel, who are they? <laughs> well, yes, we are so excited. They have actually been on our list of couples we want to have on this podcast. You are our first couple we've had on. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And they are just, um, we see them at DC parties and events and think that they are just wonderful people who are leading incredibly interesting and meaningful lives with amazing careers. So I will tell you, our listeners, a little bit about them. Uh, Michael works at the American Foreign Policy Council as a fellow in Indo-Pacific Studies. He's been there since September 2019. He works on everything from American and Chinese grand strategy, regional economic and security trends, America's alliance architecture in Asia, that sounds very important, and human rights. Um, previously, he had some great experience working in the Senate for a number of years. While there, he drafted legislation on China, Russia, India, Taiwan, North Korea, Cambodia, strategic systems and missile defense. So very broad foreign policy genius over here that we're going to be interviewing. <laughs> and then um, very complimentary, his wonderful wife, Chelsea, serves as the director of public policy with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, she works on pretty much every issue under the sun yeah. in that position. Um, <laughs> Taylor and I have gotten to work with her on some coalitions before. And yep. Yep. she previously also worked on Capitol Hill and pro-life policies and religious freedom issues, adoption and foster care issues, and advocates on those issues very passionately and very effectively. She's been published in major publications, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and others. And she is also the author of a book, Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness. Um, very brave, lovely book mm -hmm. and is writing a new book on oh. women and work. Ooh. So very amazing, fascinating couple doing exciting things. So we, we could have you on the show for many more issues. So maybe we'll have you again later, um, but welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. This is so fun. We're excited. Thanks so much for doing it. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll dive in or Taylor, did you have? No, I have nothing else aside from the question to dive in. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to dive in on these really hard questions that we're excited to, to hear your thoughts on. Yeah. So maybe starting with Michael, what is going on in <laughs> Russia, Ukraine? Right. I guess so. this we all know what's going on. Right. Russia's invaded Ukraine. There's a war happening. It's terrible. Uh, but it changes so rapidly. This is it a seven hour time difference, I believe. Mm -hmm. So seven hours ahead. So I feel like I wake up and things have radically changed the news. But what is what is your assessment of what's happening right now? Gosh, so I, I think it's probably helpful first to step back and look at the first steps that Russia made when they entered Ukraine in late February. By all accounts and the by the best 
reasoning we can put together, Vladimir Putin, uh, our lovely dictator friend in Russia, <laughs> uh, made a gamble that he could march into Ukraine and get to the capital, Kiev, quickly and either take out the president, uh, Zelensky, or hopefully by his calculations, Zelensky would have fled the country by then, under which case he would then establish a puppet regime in Ukraine favorable to Russia. Hmm. And it, I think it's probably helpful at this point to also recognize that Vladimir Putin sees Ukraine within Russia's larger sphere of influence. And he's been widely quoted as saying that the dissolution of the Soviet Union was one of the greatest tragedies of the 20th century. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if that's really what you call a tragedy, then your actions are probably going to reflect that. Nope. And that's certainly what we're seeing right now. Okay. But I, I mean, for anyone who's been following what's happening there, it's pretty clear that this has not been a cakewalk for Russia. And Russian military forces are still trying to fight to Ukraine. They have the capital surrounded from a few different directions, but by no means do they have control of the city yet. And even more than that, uh, at this point, I think the Russians have moved in, gosh, by the calculations I've seen, over 90% of the forces they pre-positioned on oh, Ukraine really? okay. border. Okay. Wow. So they have a ton of capabilities there. And it's not just manpower, it's tanks, it's artillery, it's air power and all of that stuff, but they're still struggling to advance. And part of this is due to really poor logistics planning. Like okay. you have these miles long military convoys that they're creating their own traffic jams for themselves. And mm -hmm. they're creating great targeting opportunities for the Ukrainians because mm -hmm. not just are there tanks in these convoy convoys, there's fuel mm -hmm. that oh, wow. all of these military vehicles rely on. Right. Uh, so anyways, it's it's getting into this really interesting situation, to say the least, where uh, the Russians are hitting a lot of resistance. But I think it's also important to recognize the other side of that, which is Russia has absolutely brought chaos into Ukraine. I mean, they've bombed maternity hospitals, I think was the oh, wow. latest atrocity that I saw today. They've shelled civilian neighborhoods. I think one of the more chilling things they've done there's this thing called a, a, a thermobaric or a vacuum bomb i hope i'm saying that correctly and it, it what it does in addition to exploding it also sucks the oxygen in the immediate area out so oh. anyone who's there if they don't die in the explosion or have get burned from mm -hmm. the uh, the heat uh they will not literally be able to breathe and oh, wow. th th this is one of the more controversial weapons that russia has been using and none of this is by accident because of all this resistance that Putin okay. has been meeting. He wants to break the resistance of the Ukrainian people. So we're in this really tenuous moment right now there. What is the, like you meant, is it surprising the slow progress of the Russian army, Russian military? Like what were, I, I've heard some people say assessments where it would like even, you know, outside assessments where Russia would advance much more quickly. Is, I mean, is this going according to maybe, Know, models, simulations, or other sort of prognostications? Oh, gosh, that's a, re that's a really good question. My honest answer as admittedly, I'm to a degree, I'm kind of outside looking in because most of what I do is China stuff. Got it. But yeah, but yeah. I've been following this closely because maybe we'll get into this later on in the conversation, but there's yeah. a lot of implications for China here. But I will say this to your question. Putin should have calculated this. 
this should not have been a mystery to him. And, and this is one of those stranger things of why did he think this was a good idea to yeah. do right now? And, and it's not just because of the blowback from the U.S. and the Europeans. It's because of the Ukrainians. Their resistance has been <laughs> phenomenally courageous. Yeah. And this is something that was a gross miscalculation on his part. So I don't know exactly what the models were, but he okay. should have he should have known this. He should have prepared for it. That's helpful. Yeah, you think, I mean, um, I'll just insert my own. So my uh, family, my grandmother was a refugee from Lithuania during Soviet occupation. Wow. And um, we had family members who were kind of freedom fighters doing guerrilla warfare, even after, at the end of World War II, after World War II, and their stories in the Baltic countries, which you have very similar history as Ukraine and, you know, similar fears as Ukraine right now of there being guerrilla warfare for 15 years, you know, following World War II of, you know, people fighting back. And there's just such a history in those countries of, you know, kind of severe or serious national pride and fighting back that not that long after that, (laughs) that uh, Putin would kind of forget that, right? That there was this, they never gave up hope of their independence and that they would just give it up all of the sudden, you know, like maybe a new generation for God or something is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is fascinating, Rachel. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And then just history repeats for sure. (laughs) Yes. Um, well, you know, Chelsea, I talked about my family were, were refugees, uh, from the Soviet union and we're seeing a huge exodus of refugees in the neighboring countries and out of Ukraine. Will you tell us a little bit about the refugee situation and then any other kind of humanitarian concerns that we're seeing? Absolutely. So like you said, um, approximately 2.1 million uh, Ukrainians have fled the country at this wow. point, and it's estimated to get up to 5 million, if if not higher. Um, and uh, the, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees has called this the fastest growing refugee crisis since World War II. So it's hmm. escalating incredibly quickly. And, you know, one of the things to note is the world is still grappling with the Afghan refugee crisis. Um, and so now we have kind of two crisis, crises on our hands. Um, but refugees um, are fleeing into neighboring countries. Um, Poland has welcomed over a million refugees. Um, Hungary, Romania, Moldova are also welcoming refugees. So Eastern and Central Europe really are absorbing those people. So they're not, they're not having to travel, um, to the U S or to other places, which is a good, you know, it's, it's good that they're able to stay somewhat, somewhat close to home, but I mean, the images and, um, stories are just absolutely gut wrenching. And, and one of the things that Michael and I have talked about, um, you know, war has such a human cost to it. Yes. And it's such a, it's just fascinating to watch a war play out on Twitter or, and of course there's misinformation, but to see the the images in real time and to see the videos and yeah. it's just such an interesting thing that our, our grandparents did not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing um, also to note, you know, as people are able to flee 
it's mainly women and children. A lot of the men are, are staying back. Um, mm. But then elderly people and people with, with disabilities are not able to flee the country quickly. Mm. You know, mm. they can't walk to Hungary. Yeah. Um, and, and so just keeping in mind that in war, the most vulnerable people always suffer. And, you know, the children, they're going to miss school or greater risk of physical harm um, or emotional distress having to flee a war-torn country and then women also Mm -hmm. um you know fleeing alone or at greater risk of of sexual violence and things like that um like michael mentioned um there there was a maternity and children's hospital that was Mm -hmm. was bombed earlier and um russia had promised like humanitarian corridors for people to be able to Mm -hmm. leave and then they haven't been making good on those promises so there's i mean we could talk probably for an hour on all the humanitarian concerns but you know people are hungry and don't have heat and just basic necessities um and are trying to survive so there's a lot to to be aware of and to be concerned about Uh, it's just yeah the each image i feel like i um am just glued to social media seeing Mm -hmm. yeah seeing the images out of that maternity ward today i think i'm gonna probably mispronounce the city mariupol Mm -hmm. um was just devastating um uh, let's talk a little bit also about what the human rights situation is Mm -hmm. in russia um you know there's a lot obviously of worldwide you know, sympathy and sadness about what's going on in Ukraine, but there has been a building humanitarian crisis in Russia, right? right? Um, and it's it's hard to get information out of that country, so you know we don't even know everything. But can you talk a little bit about kind of the state of adoption that Putin has put in place there of religious freedom? Yeah, absolutely. More more human rights. <laughs> things to be aware of and humanitarian things to be aware of. So Russia is actually currently on the special watch list. Um, Every year, uh, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, USERF, uh, releases um, their reports on the state of religious freedom around the world. And they are on the special watch list because of how they handled religious freedom in Russia, um, specifically actually against Jehovah's Witnesses. That's kind of their main target um but um you know where where rights are violated in one place it's, it trickles down um so it's it's definitely you know a concern and in places like you know places like russia they will export their values to ukraine um and so there's grave concern for uh religious violence and and violations um as they continue to invade uh, invade Ukraine um, with adoptions, and this is actually quite quite personal. Um, my family is made up with adoption. I was actually born in Romania, mm-hmm. and I have four Russian siblings, uh, wow. and then I actually have a cousin from Ukraine. So our family is very much built from that part of the world. Huh. Um, but it was mid two thousand, mid to late two thousands. Russian adoptions used to be open. Uh, Russian foreign adoptions and. Um, Putin ended up closing them. But then when um, Russia invaded Crimea, um, Crimea used to have foreign adoptions and Russia shut down foreign adoptions in Crimea. So there's 
deep concern that if Russia is successful in invading Ukraine, that they'll mm. they'll shut down adoptions. And there are families in process who who know who their kids are. They've been matched and you know Gosh, families wow. were supposed to travel and go get their kids and, and they're not able to right now. And, you mm. know, again, like you said, information, um, they don't know if their kids are okay or, or where they are. And this mm. is something we've been advocating for with, with state department for them to push, push in hard for these, these mm. kids. And again, the most vulnerable people are always impacted in, in situations like this. Wow. It's so incredibly sad. I just can't imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, continuing on talking about Putin, um, Michael, from what you kind of known of the region. And so what do you think is, I mean, there's tons of speculation on, and we, you talked about this a little bit, why Putin's doing this, um, what kind of, what are, what are his motivations? Why, why launch this invasion? Some people saying he has like a speculation of a health problem or Parkinson's like is that interesting legit or, I don't know opinion perspective give on us that. all the, the insight yeah, <laughs> there, there's so much speculation about Putin right now and I, I, I guess the one thing I will say about that is some of these photographs of his meetings inside of the Kremlin are wild like he has these giant tables where oh, he yeah. meets with and like before the invasion, before he further invaded Ukraine, it was probably like earlier mid-February, he met with the French president, Macron, and they were at opposite ends of this massive table. Yes. The reason for it being like Putin apparently is super paranoid about catching COVID. Oh. And oh, really? Macron wow. refused the COVID test because he didn't want the Russians to get his DNA. Oh. Checks out. <laughs> So it was wow. a smart move on, wow. on the part of the French president. Uh, but, but then, like, even after the invasion, like, you see these, this one photo that blew my mind, it's Putin in his inner chambers. And he, like, again, a massive table. He's at one end. All of his core advisors are at the opposite end of the table. And the really crazy part about this photo, this was taken shortly after the West, the United States, uh, the Brits, the Europeans, and others, rolled out some intense economic sanctions. And at the very top right of the photograph, you can see his two uh -huh. economic advisors and like both of their heads are just down and they're not even <laughs> looking at him. And like, wow. it, 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 it is a really interesting photo, huh. but it, 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 it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a funny way to get into these questions of what is going yeah. on inside this guy's head. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think one helpful place to start is he is probably in a position based on a lot of the people I've talked to over the past few weeks who've been following this closely. It's a really high probability that he is walled off from a healthy flow of good, reliable intelligence. Mm. And it, it may very well be uh, that he is not getting the best type of information. And, and this is not unique to him necessarily. This is true with all dictatorships okay. because there's the built-in incentive to be a yes man and to only report good news up the chain, not only because for your own safety, but because of your own advancement bureaucratically. Yeah. So this is one of the structural advantages for democracies is that there's, and it's because of the openness of the system of democracy, it's really hard to keep information from spreading you know but with Putin huh. it's it's interesting with him because he he 
clearly is on a rampage to rebuild the Soviet Union as much as he can. Hmm. But I know a few minutes ago, we talked about how we underestimated Zelensky and and Mm, the Ukrainian people. I think it's pretty clear he also... I, I keep wanting to say misunderestimated, which is like a, one of those <laughs> SNL parodies of George W. Bush. <laughs> misunderestimated. Um, I, I do think it's pretty clear that he also underestimated the West. Mm. And, huh, and frankly, like, frankly, you guys, I've been shocked. I've been absolutely shocked because in a good my, way. Yes. In, okay. in a very good way. So like, from my perspective, I, I mainly work on Indo-Pacific and China policy. And you guys, the Europeans have been dragging their feet on being tough on China economically for years, mm-hmm. for years. They have, and not just economically with tech stuff and tech security and, and networks and making sure that the Chinese Communist Party can't infiltrate your correspondence over telecommunication systems and stuff like that. Uh, like yep. the yeah. Europeans have been a problem when it comes to confronting the Chinese Communist Party. And they've similarly had their issues with Putin because Germany in particular and the rest of Europe relies on Russia for natural gas and oil mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. But I mean, within, I mean, days and maybe even hours of russia moving in just like that things turned on a dime and the amount of economic blowback that putin has received has been staggering and 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 for a lot of the dc conservative hawks of which i am absolutely a part of there's (laughs) always this this instinct of you're not doing enough. You need to sanction more. You need to sanction the oil companies, the Russian oil companies yesterday. You need to cut off all their banks from the dollar system uh, two days ago. Like th- th- there's always that inclination And the Biden administration in some cases has been a couple days behind or a few days behind. And okay. I-, I think in some ways that's been, they, it took them maybe 48 hours longer than other people wanted them to, but they got there eventually. I do think there's also, though, this this pronounced hesitancy from some in the administration. And, and a good example of this is, I think it was earlier today, uh, everyone thought that we would be working with Poland to give the Ukrainians some fighter jets. And on Sunday, yes. uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said as much publicly. But then all of a sudden, within the past 24 hours or so, everyone freaked out. And the Department of Defense backed away from that decision because they think it's a highly escalatory move that Russia would interpret. And they are really worried about getting drawn into the war for very understandable reasons Mm -hmm. that Russia and the United States have the most nuclear weapons of anyone in the whole world by far. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do worry that there's uh, at least with some in the administration a hesitancy to pull punches uh, and to really over lawyer this situation instead of really get the arms that the Ukrainians need promptly. Because with some of these sanctions that target Russian oligarchs, like if you're maybe a day or two behind, you miss a few stuff, but you you can make do and it'll still- Precisely, (laughs) precisely. Right, right. 
But when it comes to weapons, we cannot delay on this stuff. Like we have to be prompt and we have got to be forward leaning with arming these guys, the Ukrainians, because if we're not going to establish a no-fly zone, if we're not going to actually join the fight, which I think there are great reasons to be very careful in how we engage in those ways, we should at least give the Ukrainians everything they need so they can fight well. Gotcha. That's helpful. Helpful perspective. It seems like it's a very delicate line everyone's trying to toe of helping, but not causing further acts of war to escalate things. Yeah. Maybe in the category of response in the U.S. response, this uh, the subject of because we're, I think, all broadly in the center right, uh, (laughs) ideologically. Mm-hmm. Looking at the the rights perspective on this, you know, and just the I've been flabbergasted, uh, you know, looking at, at you, Tucker Carlson, uh, <laughs> oh, how, just like the, the Putin defense uh, coming from the right, you know, that he's standing up for his natural national interest and he's claimed that he's reviving the church in Ukraine. And the Russian Orthodox Church has said as much, too. I don't yeah. know if you all have seen this, which yeah. is just wild. So so what I mean, so what do you what is both of your perspective thoughts? Michael, I believe you wrote a piece on this, you know, Chelsea, curious for your thoughts too, just kind of on the right, this Putin defense apologist industry that's seemingly come out of nowhere. Yeah. So first off, let's, let's start with the very basic thing, which is just because nations have a national interest does not make that national interest a justifiable or right thing. Good point. (laughs) This is something that this term national interest or uh, raison d'etre or like whatever you want to use, like this, this concept is so longstanding in, in foreign policy debates. And you hear this from a lot of hardcore realists who tend to downplay values and focus a lot on hard power calculations of economics, military balance of power and stuff like that, which Mm. absolutely has its place. But if you put too much emphasis on it, you, you find yourself coming to ridiculous positions like Russia is a great power. They have their interests. We need to respect them. Okay. <laughs> maybe we do. Maybe we don't, you know, right, which, right. which is why it's helpful to probe a little bit and push a little bit. Like, so what is that national interest? Oh, you want to take over a sovereign country. Um, right. Maybe we don't need to grant legitimacy to that interest or that desire. But with Tucker specifically... This is part and parcel of something that is really concerning that's happening on the right right now. And I I think it's this deeper impulse where you have some people who see not just Putin, but Xi Jinping and others as this strong man who's admirable in some ways. Victor Orban, does he go into Mm -hmm. that? Bingo, bingo. And, and Orban, I, I think what, what a lot of people on the quote unquote new right, like the, yeah. the, the types of people we're talking about right now, like Orban is certainly not the type of despot that Putin or she are, but the, okay. the, the, the nature of the state in Hungary is nothing like government in America. Like these are two very different systems we're talking about here. And uh, you guys, I could rail on this for hours, but I'm going to hold myself <laughs> back to one comment. Okay. And then, and then we, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, these people on the new right are not conservatives. They are not conservatives. And, and this is- In the true sense. Correct. And in, in, in the true like American, 
1950s on. Exactly. They'll fight you on that, right? I think so. I think they're fighting for the mantle of what it means to be a conservative. Are they trying to redefine conservatism? Or would, like, how would you? That's, oh gosh, this is a good question. I almost wonder if different people inside of the movement would almost answer it differently. Maybe. I'm honestly not sure. But the thing that concerns me is from the people who are very honest, like some of the really smart intellectual people that I have a lot of respect for personally, I just disagree with them. Mm -hmm. They, they label themselves not as conservatives, but as counter revolutionaries. Okay. And these are like very respected academic professors at very respectable institutions that if I were to say the names, people would probably have heard of these universities. Like, these are not fringe people, especially in the DC circles here. Mm. And it's concerning to me as a lifelong conservative that there are people on my side, quote unquote, like me and Chelsea both, that are trying, uh, that, that are basically saying, you know what, we, the Constitution uh, was great while we had it, but we are really losing to the left and we need the levers of power that they have to punish our enemies and reward our friends. And own the libs. And own the libs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. I hear, I see, you know, the the Tuckers and others basically making the argument to your counter-revolutionary point, right? That, well, Putin is just standing up for his national interest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the West, America, the EU are all trying to encroach on Russia's greatness and so putin is therefore justified to push back and to expand his sphere of influence etc and i think that distinction on national interests was really important and i think you know you just have to look at what he is doing in his own country right i mean last year was the most violent repressive year since the fall of the Soviet Union inside of Russia with journalists being jailed with, you know, his um, opposition party leader being jailed and poisoned Alexei Navalny, Um, you know, protesters who come out to protest this war being thrown in jail left and right right now. And we we don't even know the extent, right. um, Of how bad it is. And all that does not seem consistent with conservatism. (laughs) Chelsea, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I would just say uh, it, it seems to me to that it ought to be a basic principle for us. And we can't be the world's policemen and we, we shouldn't try to be, but at the same time, Ukraine has proven itself to be an ally to the United States. And mm-hmm. while they're not a NATO member, um, they've still they've still proven to be an ally and we should defend our ally. Like that should be foreign policy 101 and something we can all agree on. And it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that number one is concerning. But Rachel, going back to what you were saying, these authoritarian regimes, whether it's Russia or China or regimes like that, you know, there are certainly strong economic ties there, but they, they do export their values. And that's something, especially as Christians, we need to be worried about, even if we don't understand, you know, what's happening with foreign policy, just understanding that these authoritarian regimes and leaders don't truly care about their citizens Mm -hmm. um, and will export those values. Like, Like Michael said, it seems to be Putin's goal wants to, he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union. And that is 
more than just Russia. So mm-hmm. he will export his Russian values to other places. And that should, we should push back against that darkness when we see it. Absolutely. And that should be something we should all be able to agree on. Absolutely. It's yeah. a good segue to our normal ending question. Taylor, you want to? Sure. How might Christians think about this and pray for this situation? Maybe practical ways to help as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, as a Southern Baptist, um, we have uh, the International Mission Board and one of our sister entities, Sin Relief, who is over there doing on-the-ground um, ministry and care to, to refugees. Um, it's also important for Christians to understand and realize that Ukraine is actually one of the main missionary sending countries mm. to Eastern Europe and wow. Central Asia. Um, so the oh, church in Ukraine. I did not know mm-hmm. that. I didn't the either. In, yeah. The church wow. in Ukraine is very strong um, huh. and is doing quite a lot for education and training and resourcing and, and sending out missionaries. Um, mm. So as as Russia is invading and there might be a potential regime change, um, you know, it, it's likely that our, our brothers and sisters in Christ will have to face really tough decisions about how they, mm. if they stay, if they go, what that looks like, how they serve, um, as well as other religious minorities. So I think, you know, I'll be honest, it feels incredibly helpless to be scrolling Twitter mm. and, and seeing these awful images um and you know we cannot like downplay the importance of prayer and praying for our brothers and sisters and praying for people um fleeing and um you know i think there's some uh great organizations um which i can send you and you can leave in the show notes if you want to who are doing great um you know ministry work um at the borders and, and with refugees and so you know i think all of us, all of us can pray at any time. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we see, uh, again, the images and we, we know how to pray. So, so being sure to, to pray for, um, our brothers and sisters, and then also praying that the gospel would spread, um, and that Putin's heart would be changed and he would yes. stop this invasion and yes, all the things that, uh, uh Saul would become a Paul. Um, yeah, I like that's that. great. Yeah. Michael, do you have any any thoughts on that question? I, I completely echo Chelsea's last point of praying for the political leaders involved here, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's a really good reminder for for folks like, I mean, when we work and operate, quote unquote, inside of the Beltway, right? Like mm-hmm. the the lie that at least I find myself tending to believe over time is my biggest spiritual impact is the policy work that I do, which is true up into a point, but I I find myself realizing the longer I stay here, the less I find myself praying for powerful people. Mm. And I I think the reason for that is when you're on the inside to see like the inside baseball of foreign policy and all of the hard power mm-hmm. calculations and how do you craft and calibrate sanctions? Like you think of the human means of policy to bring about good, righteous policy that honors God, which is as it should be. But I often forget to pray for the very people that these policies are targeting, mm. you know, mm. and I, I Chelsea is absolutely right. We should be praying 
for Vladimir Putin that the Lord would soften his heart and cause his mind to change. And we see this happening in scripture in Exodus, like God has the minds and the hearts of rulers in his hands. And he is more than capable and powerful enough to move. And I find myself just forgetting and neglecting to bring those prayers before the Lord. So I, I would absolutely echo what Chelsea said. Yeah. And one more thing to add. Um, Also pray for the innocent Russian people. Yeah. They don't, most of them don't want this war and they're protesting and I'm praying for them as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you both so much. That's great. Well, um, you know, we're going to first thank you so much both for your insights on this and expertise and, um, so many, so many interesting thoughts here. We could talk for hours about this, um, but we really appreciate it. And before we switch to the fun part, the lighthearted part of our segment, um, where can people find you both? On planet earth. (laughs) (laughs) That was really corny. Big big Twitter personalities. (laughs) You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Michael Sobolik and your and mine is Chels Pat. My uh, main name was Patterson and I haven't changed my Twitter handle. So okay. well, everyone should go tough. follow you. Yes. <laughs> yes. You both have good insights constantly coming out. You, um, you appear on various podcasts and write different things. So yes, everyone Track follow them the on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to switch to the fun part, the stinkers and thinkers. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> To let you guys like warm up a little bit, I'll have Taylor go first. Oh, you, you know, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you can't let us down, Taylor. Okay. What was your we'll do a round of stinkers first, then we'll end with the good I stuff. Love it. Okay. Taylor, what was your stinker this week? Love is blind season two. <gasps> I just started the first season. <laughs> but I feel like I'm up on it enough to know. Like well, you gotta catch up. Yeah. It was just like the the end, the last two episodes. No spoilers. Sure. No spoil. <laughs> like, dun, dun, dun. I well, I try I put myself in their shoes, like watching you, you have these intimate relationships, and then people are recording these conversations about the relationships, and then they're making you watch it, and like your family's watching so it. And it just felt like so I know odd. you signed up to do this on your own oh. volition, but like sounds terrible. It just uh it's painful. It just stunk. <laughs> I love it. Even though it was entertaining and I watched it all. Ah, <laughs> there, there it is. Okay, I'm gonna go off script a little bit, do my stinker just because it or my thinker. Sorry, my thinker oh. was love is blind. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Wait, so why was it your thinker? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I actually I looked back, I was thinking about this as I was preparing and it's easy, like in kind of times of trauma or things really heavy, that's the only time I watch reality uh, TV. True. <laughs> so, I hear that. I hear like that. in the hospital, we love in the hospital, 90 Day Fiance. Yeah, we watched a lot of 90 Day Fiance and it was like kind of all we could handle. It's true. It's such an and, escape. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an escape. And I think um, true. Love is Blind really provided that. <laughs> and you're right. It was, the last episode was like, Oh, this is so cringy to watch. I was like in a ball on the couch. Just <laughs> oh. Are you guys like those people that like feel the awkwardness 
Oh, totally. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Taylor was like curled up, pillow over his face. <laughs> oh, that's rough. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, and then my my stinker was sadly uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season. <gasps> really? His most recent season, which I'm so disappointed. I don't know. Have you guys watched it? We've watched we're, a good bit of it. Yeah, yeah, we're not all the way through. Oh, well, I loved Explain. the first two seasons, yeah. and then this one, uh, the main character Midge. I feel like she's just kind of unlikable for some reason. Mm. It does take a turn. Her current place of employment does take a turn. <laughs> that is true. That I do. Yes. Yeah. It's just like yeah, she's making lots of bad decisions. <laughs> she and is. I just don't. It's, it's also yeah it's not as funny as the other scenes are. <sighs> we're still watching it but yeah I agree I agree so yeah her stand-up routines don't have this built-up tension that play off of what was already happening in the episode which yeah. they did such a good job on in the first two seasons and like her stand-up huh. routines were a huge plot developer and in some cases like a huge climax uh-huh. but in this case like you're right it's nothing really happens with them oh interesting <sighs> you hit it michael that's exactly it that's exactly we agree it. with your stinker that's a really real <laughs> i never would have thought of that but that's a really interesting yeah. point yeah <laughs> all right now you guys know how it goes what are your stinkers and then we'll go back to taylor for a stinker Ooh. but what are your stinkers chelsea you want to go first i have mine ready all right <laughs> it's also a tv show um, I powered through inventing Anna. Have you guys okay. seen it? So and it's it stunk? This, and uh, so she's the stinker. The show was fascinating. <laughs> the show is. I'm watching she's it now. Stinker. It's so interesting. She's the stinker. She is a stinker. Yeah. 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 Speaking of Russians, no. <laughs> Speaking of Russians, I mean, I I love the show, but she was the stinker, and she's also like she's out of jail now. So so why why tell us more why so. Anna Delvey was this girl who pretended you to be. You need to say it in the accent. No. <laughs> oh, Chelsea can do it, huh? Anna Delvey. Michael, can do it for me. I'm never saying that again. <laughs> she pretends to be a German heiress and right. steals all this money. And like, so is it just, is it, Chelsea, is it just like her like, con artist stinkiness? So or like, is there something else City. to you? Okay. She just came off as such a diva and a got brat, it. but also she was brilliant because she almost got away with it. So like, smart. So at the smart. end of the yeah. day, she was a stinker, <laughs> but she's also, I mean, she's this 25 year old brat who's running around <laughs> New York City, right. is how I viewed it. Yeah. But totally. it was, so that's my stinker. Okay. <laughs> that's but it's one. also, a fascinating show and I would recommend it. <laughs> it's Shonda, it's Shondaland. So it's yeah. incredibly well done. Right. So good. Except for her accent is pretty bad. Nope. It is. <laughs> it's something. Yeah. It's there. I've Michael. been sending her gift, the gift of her. <laughs> and she gets really angry. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, you guys, I finally have a stinker, but do not judge me. Okay. Oh, boy. So, uh, one of my favorite things to do when I'm winding down at the day is play Madden football on my iPad. <laughs> Great. I downloaded the Madden app, the EA Sports Madden game, which I love to play on my computer when I was very little in like 1999 and 2000. 
and I suddenly had this epiphany recently of I need to play Madden again. So I have Madden on my iPad. And like, as I go to sleep, I'm either watching SNL videos and laughing or I'm playing like Madden and trying to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) And this most recent time through my season, I was the Minnesota Vikings because I pick like random teams that I like have enjoyed playing. And I was like, I'm going to be the Vikings this season. So I'm the Vikings. I'm in the conference championship game. If I win this, I go to the Super Bowl. I've had like a really wonderful heroic season where like I had a few losses, but I came back from them. Like I dominated my my defense has been incredible. Wow. And is this your stinker? It is my stinker. Okay. It's coming. I'm, I'm setting. <laughs> I'm, I'm setting it up. I'm here. starting to cry. I'm just moved. This is just really. Oh moved. my gosh! It was so depressing. So like my safeties on the defense were unstoppable. I had so many interceptions. Like it was just. It was a good season that I could feel. Wow. Okay. But it was the final play in the fourth <laughs> quarter of the conference championship game, oh my and I rush the quarterback and nearly sack him he's at like the 50 yard line and he gets away from it he throws this bomb to the end zone and somehow the receiver catches it as time expires and i lose right before the super bowl and the whole season is gone and you threw your ipad out the window no because i would have woken chelsea up and lionel probably would have got lionel our cat probably would have gotten upset but i wanted to and waking me up would definitely make me a stinker (laughs) (laughs) true but that that was my stinker it was really disappointing it was very sad that's emotional (laughs) so emotional so it was thank you uh all right so we should go to thinkers i already said mine taylor what's your thinker all right we should do quick ish i guess mine is another another video game the first mass effect from 2007 i avoided playing it played their remastered version and i'm really impressed with it holy cow the, the character arcs and the way it connects with like the decisions you make in the first game connected with the second game which i'm playing now i regretted a decision and like i might have lost like 30 minutes of sleep about like, <laughs> i'm really sorry i didn't save your ship and whatever <laughs> but it, it takes me back to like you were saying michael like being a kid and playing uh like those early like click through like 8-bit space adventure yes where it's like you talk to the alien and you have to ask questions but it's just it's it was a ton of fun and took me it's it it you it takes you back to your childhood you know yep Yep. (laughs) that was my thinker uh chelsea so i'll go quick my thinker is a three for one but it's my morning podcast lineup and i always listen to the same three podcasts and i love it i do um, Punchbowl first, and okay. then Axios, and then Politico, and it's great. I love it. Oh, and they wow. each have a different flavor. Speed and a half, you can get through it quickly. I do not know how she listens to these podcasts on speed and a half. It's crazy. I what cannot do it. Speed and a half. Like you can half. speed up your podcast. Oh, I thought like that's really, 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 really fast. <laughs> I listen to one podcast at two x, and it it is doable. Uh, so wait, is what? Doable. Which ones like? Because they all those brands have multiple parts. Oh, they're like morning news of the day. Oh, okay. Like the morning. So news. I'm ready to start the day. Yeah, I mean, you have to pay attention to every single policy issue is there at your LC. Everything. So you got it. <laughs> yeah. That's my my thinker is my little morning. Uh, that's good. That's I love good. that. Michael, this answer is much more serious than my stinker. I have been reading a book during the Lent Lenten season called Bitter and Sweet: A Journey Ooh. into Easter. Oh, and it's by this author that I've never heard of before. And I really hope I say her name correctly. Uh, Tish, uh, Tish Oxenrider, Oxenrider, one of those, I think. 
but it's been a wonderful guide into Lent because for a number of years, I've really anticipated and loved the Advent season Mm. of, uh, of my relationship with Christ, but I just haven't really pressed into Lent that much and haven't really engaged a lot, but Chelsea actually got this book recently and I pulled it open and I've started going through it just daily devotions in the morning. And it's been a really, really great way to start the day. And and it has, I think a great perspective on Lent and how it leads into Easter and spiritual formation and stuff like that. So it's, it's been really, really good. That's great. What was the title again? It's called bitter and sweet, a journey into Easter. That's great. Yeah. Sometimes uh, getting motivated for Lent is not as exciting as getting motivated for Advent. It's not so. as exciting. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> it's not. That is the truth. But it's good. It's good. That's that's great. We need it for you need to you need to have what the bitter before the sweet often. <laughs> yes. Which is why we did the stinker before the thinker. That's right. And <laughs> 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 on a good note too. Just like the Lenten Easter season. That's right. That's right. Wow. Wow. Love we really how you nailed it. that up for us. We really nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for coming on our podcast. We couldn't have done this without you. This it was fun. it was wonderful. Thank you. You guys are great. We really appreciate you. Thanks everyone for listening in to We Are the Barclays and the Sobolics. Go follow them on Twitter. They're great. <laughs>